Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Late Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, May 8th, the year of our Lord, 2022. A playoff take so utterly trashy, it needs its own landfill. And unfortunately, we do have to open the show with it tonight. We are jam-packed high atop what can only be described as a boisterous downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Mike Leach, he stepped in it. And so we're going to try and clean it up, but I do not believe we're equipped to do it tonight. On a much more bright note, we do have bold predictions 6.0 to get to you. You've given us a limitless supply of boldness that you claim you would put your money behind. It's Alabama Mood Tracker Night. We put it off for a reason, and tonight is that night. And also, you want a story about mothers. You know it's Mother's Day, and I'm going to do the Happy Mother's Day at the end of the show and kind of in the middle of the show because, boy, do we have, do we have some stories in this sport about mothers. I put out a poll earlier today on Twitter. Some of you remember some of this. Some of you don't. Here's my ideal world. There is a brand new sort of a college football fawn of a fan out there. You just came to college football a couple of years ago. You don't really know about Landon Collins' mom. You've never heard of Alex Collins' mom. Not related, by the way. Uh, Even Jacob Copeland. Maybe you haven't really heard those stories. I'm going to tell you those stories tonight. And especially as it relates to Landon Collins, I got some behind-the-scenes scoop for you that I don't know that I've shared on the show. If I did, it was a really long time ago. They're watching us. Believe it or not, a check-in within the last 20 minutes from Morocco, haven't ever had it before, first time on the show, St. Augustine, Florida, Salem, Oregon, and Dothan, Alabama. And I want to be specific about Dothan, Alabama, Wallace Community College, and even more specifically, Nathan at Wallace Community College in Dothan, Alabama. You know who you are. Thank you, brother. Uh, 100,000 is a number. As we open the show tonight, I want you to focus on. Just wrote 100K. Director Colin has been on a mission to get us 100,000 subscribers on this YouTube channel because we get a big, big, shiny something from YouTube when we get there. But also, management and I were talking last week, them with their mustaches and me with my white t-shirt. And I think that we may be able to do something really, really special with this channel if and when we get there. That's all I can legally tell you right now. But subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It costs you nothing and it helps us do a whole lot. With that, let me put on a somber face. If you're listening on podcast, this is the rare exception where you benefit from not being able to see me and uh, my facial expressions. Brown. Okay, here we go. Mike Leach we have to lead the show with tonight. Mike Leach is not to be trusted anywhere near the college football playoff. Now, I'm not anti-Mike Leach, but boy, I'm anti-Mike Leach when he opens his mouth and he starts talking about the college football playoff. Only bad things come out. 
I was in Columbus, Georgia yesterday at a birthday party for my nephew. And so I drove back to Nashville last night, and as is usually the case, something happened on my drive. So I was probably somewhere around Ringgold, Georgia, and all of a sudden the eye josh just starts boop, 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 starts lighting up. And I look down, and you can imagine my surprise when I glance, of course, at a red light, and I see something about Mike Leach and a horse race and the college football playoff. I wasn't even taken aback by it, because if anyone made that connection, it was going to be Mike Leach. But it wasn't until I got to the parking garage, downtown Nashville, where I reside, and that's as specific as I'm going to be there, where I pulled the iJosh up and I actually saw the tweet. Colin, if you must, let's show the people what was said by Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach at the conclusion of yesterday's Kentucky Derby. And I quote, you know what, let me do the paper pop. Colin loves that. And I quote, the horse winning the Kentucky Derby today is a good example of course, of why an expanded college football playoff is needed. That horse hadn't won all the races leading up, but it got its chance, and that's what happened. He's talking about horses. If you've ever seen that picture of that koala with its mouth hanging open and a half-eaten leaf hanging out, that was me. I swear to you, I sat in silence for the better part of five minutes in my parking garage. After I'd just driven five hours, the last thing I want to do is stay in the car. But I just went... I don't know what to say. So I have 24 hours now. I have something to say at least. I like Mike Leach. You can tell I'm prefacing because I'm about to say some terrible things about him. I like Mike Leach. I loved when he got hired at Mississippi State. He's very colorful. Always like having people like that because there was this period in the SEC where we went from having a lot of character and a lot of color to it kind of took a dip. But then it came back in large part because of that man, Mike Leach, who is the head coach now at Mississippi State. At Pate State, I would hire him in a nanosecond to run my offense. So there are a lot of positives about Mike Leach. Okay, I'm very much a pro-Leach guy. Except for the fact that when it comes to the playoff, I would not trust him to mow the grass outside of College Football Playoff Committee headquarters, much less be involved in the conversation about how this thing should be structured. This is a man who has advocated not for even a 16 or a 32 team, but a 64 team college football playoff. And I know if you didn't hear him say that, you're probably chuckling, ha, oh, that Mike Leach. Boy, what a jokester. He wasn't smiling. He didn't laugh. He just deadpanned it, as he usually does. And he said, yeah, why not? You know, why not a 64-team playoff? Again, koala, mouth open, leaf hanging out. That's always me when I'm listening to Mike Leach. A lot of you can relate to this. You know, a lot of you out there may not have ever interviewed Mike Leach, but a lot of you have been at a family reunion. Let's say you take your new girlfriend to family reunion and grandpa's there, and he's in his late 80s, early 90s, he's got a lifetime of stories. This is a guy who was born in the Great Depression, and he served in Korea, and he served in Vietnam, and you just sit there, eyes wide open. He's got stories that you can only find in your history book. He lived through the space race. He lived through the advent of color television. This guy has got a lifetime of memories to share with you how he made his fortune, how he met his wife, about his children, and all the struggles that he had growing up. And you're captivated, and you're drawn in, but then you know what's always around the corner. Just when Grandpa has everybody enthralled in his life story, he starts telling you something like, but I'll tell you, I think we rushed into desegregating schools a little bit too quickly. And it's like, whoa, 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 Grandpa, okay, girlfriend, let's go, time to go, Grandpa, I'll see you at Christmas, it was fun, 
it's always right around the corner. Mike Leach is the same way, to much less a degree of seriousness. But every time Mike Leach talks about offense, I'm captivated. And every time he talks about his philosophy on life, quite frankly, I'm captivated. But then Mike Leach starts talking about the playoff, and I try and find the nearest pair of earplugs. Not for me, I know better, but we have very, very new people at the table here. Not hardcore casuals. Um, we've got people who just haven't fully formed an opinion on this sort of thing, and if we're not careful, that man's going to convince them that a 64-14 playoff or something they saw something with four legs accomplish has direct correlation to what should be best for college football. So I want to share with you my own little piece of life advice tonight. I am not in my 80s or 90s. I still, God willing, have a lifetime to live before I can give you a bunch of very, very wise and sage quotes to guide you on your own journey. But I do have one for you tonight, especially college football fans. And if you have made it this far, I assume you are one of those. General life advice. Okay? You can rewind this and play it as often as you need to. I probably will tweet it out later. General life advice. Do not draw conclusions about college football from watching things that in no shape, form, or fashion resemble college football. Pause, so we can cut that out, and then I will continue, and I will tell you, it's okay to just watch the Kentucky Derby and say, good for that horse, the end. It's okay to watch the NCAA tournament. It's okay to watch conference tournaments in basketball and say, good for St. Peter's, the end. There is no direct correlation with what that horse did yesterday and what the future of Iowa football should look like in an expanded playoff. There is no direct correlation between St. Peter's basketball and what should or shouldn't be available to uh, Cincinnati in any given year. There's just not. There's just not. We're not even talking about apples to oranges. It's like apples to anvils. It's not even close. Not even remote semblance here between one and the other. This is what I have always called bumper sticker syndrome. It exists in great, great and unfortunate quantities within the landscape of college football, bumper sticker syndrome exists. That's the sort of thing where if you just read something really quickly and then you move on, it makes sense, but it, it bears no shot of standing up to any thorough examination. Uh, one of those would be the big lies we've talked about on this show many times, like, well, you are what your record says you are. If you watch pro football, that sounds like it makes sense. It doesn't always make sense in this sport because of the difference in strength of schedule. You could have someone tell you, well, a win is a win. No, I can assure you, if you beat an FCS team you were favored by 45 against by a field goal versus beating Alabama by a field goal, those wins are not equal, not even remotely close to being equal. But if you just say them and then you move on, kind of makes sense, right? That is bumper sticker syndrome. Well, Mike Leach has got a, a great heaping helping of bumper sticker syndrome going for him right now because a lot of people read that yesterday. They didn't really critically examine it and they just said, yeah, good point. Go horse. Go Mike Leach. Go college football playoff. Could I reread you something, please? You know, Colin put up the tweet a second ago. If you're listening on podcast, I just read it one time for you. But could we just one more time? There's the second snap of the paper already tonight. Could we please inspect this? Pull out the magnifying glass. I want you to focus on one sentence very closely. That horse hadn't won all of the races leading up, but it got its chance. And that happened. You know what we're trying to do over here? We're trying to run what we consider the greatest sport in the world. That's college football. We are trying to run something that exhibits the best regular season 
in any sport, and that's college football. We actually have things with sanctity and integrity about them that we're trying to uphold. So when we apply this backwards logic, we've also got to, we got to apply it against the backdrop of what we're trying to uphold right now. Um, speaking of these races, you know, because even the expansionist crowd out there claims that they love the regular season. So those of you who claim you could get everything that's magical about the NCAA tournament or the Kentucky Derby all of a sudden and put it in college football, but keep everything else the same. Hey, Mike Leach just mentioned some other races that horse didn't win. Could any of you tell me about those races? You tell me about the Kentucky Derby because you watch that because that's an event that the structure of that sport, horse racing, says you have to watch. Could you tell me about the other races, though? For the St. Peter's represents everything that could be great about college football crowd. Could you tell me uh, your favorite three memories from St. Peter's regular season run this year in college basketball? The answers are no and no, because the very thing that you're touting as what could be something to enact change in college football gave you no reason to observe the regular seasons in any of those other sports, which is our entire argument. Anybody who's anti-expansionist doesn't deny that, oh, it would be very entertaining to watch a 12-team playoff or a 16-team playoff. No one denies that. It's entertaining to watch the Kentucky Derby. It's really entertaining to watch the NCAA tournament. But then, when you ask me about the regular season, whatever a season in horse racing is, when you ask me about the regular season college basketball, I don't even have to give you my opinion. I'll just pull up the numbers and I'll show you what the ratio is to November and December college basketball to March and April college basketball. And I would assume that I have not uh, granularly gone through it. I would assume that the Kentucky Derby's number it did yesterday probably dwarfs the qualifying races that, um, I'm drawing a blank on the horse's name. Uh, congrats to the 80 to one underdog, by the way. Uh, I would imagine that the number of the Kentucky Derby did yesterday dwarfed that. Point being, there is nothing. And let me repeat in all caps, nothing about what you watched yesterday, contrary to what the bad man at Mississippi State tells you when it comes to the playoff, uh, that applies at all to college football. That's it. And that's all. Moving on. I was, as I said, at home yesterday, driving around. I've got my dad, friend of the show, in the passenger seat. And he did not want to talk about Mike Leach. He did not want to talk about any segment on the show. He wanted to tell me, you know, you could do those Academy ad reads a lot better inquisitive as I always am, I leaned my ear in. He said, you know, you never actually mention any products they have, um, which is 90% true. So I did something today. And not at the behest of the fine folks at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They've been fine with the way we've been doing things. But due to outside criticism, I do need to tell you some things that you can get at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Love, happiness, joy, plentiful supply of that at Academy, fulfillment, also, Magellan and Yeti coolers are there, Timberland, Columbia outerwear, tents, grills, chairs. You can get those things there too. Uh, but man, you can get those at a lot of places. The idea that you are supporting the one entity that has propped our show up to the point where you'll never have to pay for it and you'll never have to worry about whether it's going to show up or whether it's going to move because they have fully funded our venture. You know what Academy is for us? Academy is John Hammond the old bearded guy in Jurassic Park who just comes in and pops the champagne cork and says, I'm going to fund your dig for another two years. That's what Academy does. We're out there and we're dusting off the T-Rex skeleton and all of a sudden he comes in and he says, uh, here, here's a check. Bye. Thank you, John Hammond, or in our case, Academy Sports and Outdoors for always being there for us. And now it's like 78 degrees outside. 
producer Jesse actually wore softball pants last Friday night that were purchased through Academy Sports and Outdoors because he learned his lesson in week one. Jesse had a really good night the other night. And the softball team is two games above 500 right now, might I add. Uh, probably thanks in no small part to Academy Sports and Outdoors. So thank you to them for making, here's that phrase, quite literally everything you see on the show possible. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Did you know they're watching us in Bossier City, Louisiana? If you didn't before tonight, you do now. Also, Jersey City, New Jersey is tuned in, and Onstead, Michigan is tuned in. Thank you for watching. We've got a bold audience, so bold that we have entered version six of your boldest predictions about the 2022 college football season. This has been a runaway success in terms of what we really care about, which is viewership. All due respect to the sentiment of this show, viewership has been off the charts for this segment. Uh, and so we're going to do another one tonight. Listen to these because we have some doozies. First up, this is Joe. He says Miami's going to win the ACC Coastal. Are they now? Now, a lot of you have either a love or a hate relationship with Miami. I think some of the B-roll we have of Mario just casually walking through a parking lot with the team is great. Uh, do you understand what Joe's saying here? Like this to me is a five on the boldness scale. This is not all that bold at all. Miami's in the ACC Coastal. Joe is predicting them to win the ACC Coastal. Because a lot of you don't like Miami or you think, uh, first year head coach can't really win anything. You just automatically say, they're not going to win the Coastal. Well, how winnable is the Coastal? It's so winnable that the head coach last year, Manny Diaz, got fired and they still finished second in the division. That's how soft it was. So Pitt made a run last year. Congratulations to the Panthers. And they went and won not only the division, but they won the conference too. Pitt, famously at this point, is replacing a first-round quarterback. North Carolina woefully underachieved relative to expectation last year. And I'm just running down the list of what the competition is. Both the schools in Virginia, Virginia and Virginia Tech, have first-year staffs and suspect rosters, and we'll get into that a little bit more this summer. Who else are we talking about here? Georgia Tech? Georgia Tech's not going to challenge in the division. Duke is not going to challenge in the division. Well, that's it. That's the entire division. So I'll tell you another thing. The two probably prime contenders here, as you're looking on YouTube at the win totals right now, Pitt, nine wins. Miami, eight and a half wins. North Carolina, eight wins. Pitt and North Carolina, you would figure sitting here in May, are the prime contenders along with Miami. Miami plays both of them at home. That's the plus side on the schedule front. The downside on the schedule front is out of those three teams, only Miami has to play Clemson this year. So it's at the very end of the season, second to last week of the season. In fact, they go to Clemson and then they play Pitt 
at least they don't have to go two pit weather related plus there but this is a five and i'll tell you what if that that little clemson anecdote wasn't a part of the scheduling makeup here it would be lower than that you could probably call miami the the slight favorite to, the, to win the division that's probably how much that game at clemson matters next up this one is very near and dear to me and so i gotta be i gotta be careful i gotta take a deep breath as i read this next one because it has to do with a loved one of mine. His name is Will Anderson. Felix Sharp says, Will Anderson going to win the Heisman Trophy. Now, I want you to understand, it's never been more important for me to state that my personal feelings on Will Anderson are going to be set to the side here. This is a seven on the boldness scale. Certainly not because he won't deserve it. I think I've given, I think I've given that uh, qualifier on like every Will Anderson segment that we've done this year. If I ran this vote, and Felix said Will Anderson's going to win the Heisman this year, that would be like a two or three on the boldness scale. Because barring injury, he's going to be in New York because he's the best player in college football. He may very well have been last year. So that's if, but that's not what the state of this award is right now. The 2021 Heisman finalist list was an embarrassment to the, to the award, and it was an embarrassment as a result to college football. The right guy won. Bryce Young won. Uh, you had a guy, listen to this, by the way, if, if, just to tee this up the right way. Will Anderson led FBS in tackles for loss last year. He had 31. The next closest guy had 18 and a half. That's Will Anderson over a dozen ahead of the next best in the sport. He had a, a tackle for loss per game rate of 2.5. The next closest was 1.6. He had almost a full tackle for loss more per game than whoever else college football threw up in your face. Uh, sacks, 17 and a half, most in the country. The second most was 13 and a half. That was Aiden Hutchinson, who finished, uh, who went to New York. Did he finish second? He was pretty high up there. So you've got some things working against you here. Bryce Young is on his team. Uh, the Bama fatigue is going to be real this year. You know, if an Alabama player were to win this year, if Will Anderson were to win the Heisman this year, that would be a three-peat in Heisman's for Alabama at three different positions. Devontae Smith, Bryce Young, and then Will Anderson, which I don't need to tell you would be unprecedented. Uh, Dallas Turner's on his team, which is a great thing for Alabama, but if you're just a, a stat head, which like every Heisman voter is when it comes to defensive players, that's probably gonna take a little bit of juice away from his resume. Uh, but the most important bullet point I wrote down that will keep Will Anderson from winning the Heisman is ignorance. The same thing that kept him out of New York City last year. So that's a seven on the boldness scale. Next up is, I think, the boldest rating I have given a prediction so far. We've gone with a nine, but I'm giving this one a 9.5. Weston Wagoneer, or Wagoner, said Kentucky will upset Georgia at home, go 11-1 regular season, their only loss will be to Tennessee at Neyland, and make it to the SEC championship game in Atlanta. So, I gave this a nine and a half. This is very hard for me to see happening. The first thing I need to do is I do need to acknowledge if this ever does happen, certainly it would be in the year where Georgia loses a bunch of talent and they're coming off a title year, so they could have some complacency issues. You combine that with the fact that Stoops is the only guy to pull off the double-digit win seasons up there in football anyway, and he may very well have a first-round caliber quarterback in Will Levis playing for him this year. So I will acknowledge, if this ever were to happen, it would be this year. And if it were to happen, it would sound crazy in May. So that's where we are right now. 
So, so here's the closest thing to wood we have on the set. Let's knock on it for our Kentucky brethren, uh, one of whom was in here earlier trying to sell me on this. That's what brought it down from 10 to 9.5. The win total for Kentucky this year is 8.5. I don't know that people who don't bet win totals understand how high a number that is for Kentucky football. 8.5 over-under win total for Kentucky is a monumental endorsement of what Stoops has done with that program up there. Having said that, now you don't have individual game point spreads out there. I, we've got our own internal numbers. Suffice it to say, they will either be an underdog or a short favorite in at least four games. Uh, those games, as mentioned in the tweet, at Tennessee, but they also have a game at Florida. They go to Ole Miss, and they've got Georgia at home. So you got you to go to three of four on those and then not lose any other games. It they have to be undefeated. To do this, they have to be undefeated going into the Georgia game, I think. Actually, so they could lose at Tennessee. But the thing about it is, if they, if they beat Georgia, that is November 19th. I want you to understand what that would mean. So if they lose to Tennessee October 29th, they got plenty of time. They got four games, a whole month, to build back up some steam. And they would still control their own destiny because they would still have Georgia in front of them, even if Georgia's undefeated. If they beat Georgia on November 19th, in Athens, no less, this is not an early season upset. Everybody is zoned in by that point. If Kentucky were to beat Georgia in Athens that late in the year, I, it would be one of the bigger upsets, not knowing what the point spread would be, of course, but just in terms of um, theatrics, like in terms of the overall perception of what football is in the SEC versus what it would be that afternoon, that would be a monumental upset. It would be a landmark upset for the Kentucky program. And also, Forget about just the SEC race. Kentucky would be right there in the college football playoff picture. So I know that sounds foreign to you because it hasn't happened. Uh, that's a nine and a half for me. But boy, would it be entertaining to watch. You're looking right now at the odds to win the SEC championship this year. Kentucky is two, four, six. They are seventh. Uh, right there, well, actually, they're like a three-way tie for fifth, I guess, with LSU, Auburn, and then Kentucky is at plus 4,000. Eight and a half over under win total. Good for Kentucky before the season even starts. Next up, now this one's a little more doable, but it's still pretty bold. Ohio State, undefeated national champion, so 15-0. Now Ohio State's gonna be favored in every game they play. This is not out of the realm of possibility, it never is. They are one of a handful of teams, a small handful of teams every given year that this is always on the table for. Having said that, I gave this a seven on the boldness scale. Uh, number one, because it is just hard to win all of your games, for pretty much anyone. Number two, it is still the Big Ten. While a lot of you scoff at that, it means something. It's the second toughest conference in America. And therefore, they do have games at Michigan State. Uh, they have a two-game stretch of Iowa and then at Penn State. Of course, they've got Michigan at the end of the year. Now, to me, if I look at their schedule, it's hard for me to look at it and say that I would rearrange it any other way. They got Notre Dame to open so it's a really good, solid opponent, but they'll be favored by double digits. It's at home. They should win that game. I don't think anyone's arguing with that. They got Wisconsin uh, three weeks later at home. They go to Michigan State, but they've got Rutgers before that. Uh, they go to Iowa, but they got a bye week. Well, they got Iowa at home and a bye week before Iowa at home. And then they go at Penn State, at Northwestern, back-to-back -back games. There is no landmine sequence of games here, is my point. I do have a lot of friends in the Northeast that would tell me, look at that game on November 19th, very quietly. They go to Maryland right before they play Michigan. I see it. 
We had a prediction last week that Taulia Tonga-Bailoa was going to be in New York City for a Heisman Trophy finalist spot. So the schedule is very favorable. Ohio State's one of a handful of teams that could pull this off. This is not crazy to me. Uh, it, it is an indictment. Well, it's a positive reflection of the program, I guess, is the better term, that I say it's only a seven on the boldness scale when you predict an undefeated season. Their last five recruiting cycles, like they're right up there. We all know what the roster's made of. Uh, they got one of the best quarterbacks in the country, one of the best wide receiver stables in the country, incredible running back depth, overhauling the defense, which is, of course, most people in Columbus's number one priority of things to watch when they finally do tee it up. But that's a seven. Now I've got one that's a little bit bolder to wrap it up here. Well, it's not mine. It's yours. This is John Williams. He says, West Virginia will make the Big 12 title game. That's an eight on the boldness scale. Now, the Big 12 could be very, very wide open this year. I've got a problem with West Virginia being in the Big 12, which is its own side segment, because their closest road trip is 1,000 miles away. Every road trip is a long road trip. There are no bus trips for West Virginia. There are too many unknowns on the team right now for me to make this any less than an eight on the boldness scale. There are not divisions in this conference, so just the top two teams make it to the conference title game. JT Daniels, for those who have been kind of tuned out, you may not know JT Daniels, former Georgia quarterback, transferred to West Virginia. Presumably he will be the starter there, but he came in after spring. They had kind of a muddy quarterback situation coming out of spring. So it's not like, you know, it's not like some other places, like at Ole Miss, for example. It's Luke Altmyer, it's Jackson Dart, and we don't really know who the starter's going to be there yet. It's not like that, at least perceptionally, at West Virginia. It's pretty widely assumed JT Daniels will be the starting quarterback there, but he is an unknown in and of himself at this point. I don't think that's unfair to say, and I also think it's very fair to say the attrition they had in their secondary at West Virginia, no matter what they have done or do in the portal to this point, it's going to be a question mark, especially in this conference. And lastly... If you'll look at their November schedule, they wrap the regular season consecutively with a game at Iowa State, home versus Oklahoma, Kansas State at home, sleeper in the Big 12, and then at Oklahoma State. Those are their last four games. And if you want to go two games prior to that, they got three games prior to that, four games prior to that. Why not? They got Texas, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU. It's tough. It's tough. You've got to assume that you're going to have to have two losses max if you're going to the conference title game. I am assuming that crazier things have happened. That's a tough 10 and 2 slate there. Very tough. Doable, but tough. So I'm going to give that one an 8. Bold predictions have been one of the funnest things that I think we've ever done in the spring on this show. And Director Colin can attest to that. All right, let's move on. We've got to talk about some moods tonight. I've got some things coming up for you, by the way, that we've never done on the show. So we're not wrapping the show up with Mood Tracker tonight. I can promise you that. Uh, some very unique stories. One of which, at least two of which I've never told on the show before. But first, the Mood Tracker series is back. We head down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama tonight to talk about not the defending national champ, but the defending SEC champ, as it were. So the Mood Tracker is just a slice of the fan base. How are they feeling? From, from Haleyville to Ozark, from BioLabatry to Florence, everywhere in between in the state of Alabama. How are they feeling about Alabama football? It's always fun to do the Alabama Mood Tracker. Because it's like the most first world problem or list of problems in all of college football. It's really fun. There's, there's a lot of freaking out routinely around Alabama football about things that would be the envy of most of America. So the mood that we arrived at for Alabama is a sort of emotional reloading. No one likes to lose the national championship game, although it's great that you were there and 
you won the SEC championship against the same team that beat you in the national championship, and that'll look weird in a history book 50 years from now. I'll grant you that. But if you've ever gone fishing, there's several different ways, really, you can do it. You could, of course, do it with a spear, like Tom Hanks in Castaway. You just get one shot at it. You can do it with a rod and reel. And at any given time, you still only have one shot at it. You could hang off a tree branch. You could try and do it like Creed Bratton in the office, bare hand. At Alabama, the way they fish is they go get a giant barrel, and they pour a bunch of fish in it, and then they take a shotgun, and they just get to shoot into the barrel. And if they miss, oh well, reload, shoot again. This is not a program that has to build and build and build, and oh, we may be able to contend this year. They just get to do it every year. In fact, it is such a warped sense of what reality is for everyone else in college football that last year, they were in the national championship game leading in the fourth quarter, and a lot of people would tell you it was a miracle. It was Nick Saban's best coaching job since he's been at Alabama, and they would basically poor mouth the team that won the conference title and was a quarter away from winning the national championship. So in order to make you understand why people really aren't all that up in arms and they're ready to go and they think they're the favorite for a reason this year, remember what happened. Remember what you had. If you're an Alabama fan, going into last year. And certainly, if you're a college football fan, I think going into seasons, there are these talking points people have about teams. Right now, for instance, it's talking point season, preview magazine season. Well, let me tell you what the preview magazines were saying about Bama last year. They were losing the biggest collection of talent Nick Saban had ever lost from the best team Nick Saban had ever had. First-round quarterback, Mac Jones. First-round running back, Najee Harris. First-round wide receiver, Jalen Waddle. First-round wide receiver, Devontae Smith. First-round corner, Pat Sertan. First-round offensive lineman, Alex Leatherwood. Another first-round caliber offensive lineman, if not for injury, in Landon Dickerson, who was part of the very glue and fabric and quintessential leadership of that team. Uh, first-round defensive lineman, Christian Barmore, or high second round, I think he was. Also, I think the best offensive coordinator Saban's ever had, and Steve Sarkeesian. All of those folks walked out the door, and he took the team to the national championship game again anyway. So, yes, it is fishing in a barrel with a shotgun and you just get to take another shot every single year so they're going to take a shot this year and the mood around there is just a kind of emotional reloading it was a generational experience for georgia folks to win that national championship in indianapolis a few months ago because they hadn't done it bama folks have done it half a dozen times under this guy nick saban already they got the best overall odds in the national championship picture entering 2022 bryce young insane pass rush uh, they have got a very, very good portal haul, the likes of Jameer Gibbs and Eli Ricks and Jermaine Burton, the Herald kid, a wide receiver there out of Louisville. And also, not to be overlooked, was Nick Saban in the spring repeatedly when he was asked by the media in Tuscaloosa there. He said, this team's really got no drama on it. Good leadership. We don't really have any problem guys on this team. Now, he said that a few times in his career. I'm pretty sure like every one of those teams went on to just salt the earth with the rest of the sport that year. He's mentioning that for a reason. It wasn't exactly the case at all times last year, nor should it have been. How in the world do you lose that much leadership and just go on merrily about your business? I am of the camp that believes last year was one of that staff's best coaching jobs, and I am of the camp that they should be the favorite going into this year. They would tell you, ooh, offensive line's uncertain. And it is. It is. But we're not comparing this team to past Alabama teams. We're comparing them to the other teams across the landscape of 2022 college football. There's not one that looks better 
at least as my eyes see it in May. And guess what that means? Goose egg, nothing. Uh, but that's all we have to go on. We can only predict the future with the information at hand. So the 2022 schedule, they got a trip to Texas in week two. Uh, they open conference play against Vanderbilt, prayers for the Commodores, and then that trip to Arkansas, followed by a game against Texas A&M, followed by a game at Tennessee. That three-game stretch right there at Arkansas, A&M, at Tennessee, uh, that's the meat of their schedule because we can't know what LSU is. Uh, they got a back-to-back -back road against LSU and Ole Miss later in the year, but that, that three-game stretch from the 1st of October to the 15th, that is the meat of their schedule. And that's why there's an emotional reloading, but really no more in Tuscaloosa. Moving on, got to uh, put something in the live chat there. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Subscribe to the channel. 100,000. We are, we are not even hiding it anymore. The goal is 100,000 subs on that channel. They're watching us in New Creek, West Virginia, Smithville, Missouri, and Brandon, Mississippi. Not Walker, just good old-fashioned Brandon, Mississippi. Thank you so much. Let's dive into the mailbag. We got four good ones here, and um, I've got something to wrap the show up. That It'll mean a lot to some of you, at least. Scott, first up, he said, which incoming freshman will be the most exciting to watch this season? Well, I don't have one for you. I've got one, two, three, four. I got five. Now, we're going to move through these really quickly. Evan Stewart, wide receiver at Texas A&M. I mean, that's a guy that has to be an impact player for them this year. I think uh, we've got some famous stats every offseason. And one of the famous stats right now is they were 92nd at Texas A&M in pass plays of 20 yards or more last year. Well, that's because they need better talent at wide receiver. Uh, better talent at quarterback wouldn't hurt either. But Evan Stewart is one of those guys. He was ranked 11th in the 24-7 composite. Big time get. Huge. Everyone wanted him. Two sports standout, as are most guys at that position rated that high. But he has got to be an immediate impact player. I expect he will be. Evan Stewart, wide receiver, Texas A&M. Uh, let's go to Jesse's backyard. Nicholas Singleton's big time running back. He was the top recruit from the state of Pennsylvania. He stays at home. This was a really big deal at the time. Still is for James Franklin and company. And also, it's a wide open path to playing time. I mean, I think he's going to be very much an impact player as a true freshman. And also, like if you think about the best Penn State teams and you think about what they've been able to lean on, it's been a solid ground game. And we found ourselves recently kind of whispering about the running game at Penn State instead of with a big chest kind of boldly proclaiming the running game. Well, Nicholas Singleton is the kind of guy who can quickly remedy that. Keep an eye on him. I think he will play and play a lot as a true freshman. Michael Williams from, I believe, Hardaway High School down in my neck of the woods, Columbus, Georgia, stayed in state after a brief commitment over in Southern Cal. Stays in state. He's going to Georgia. Uh, I obviously know a lot of people around that program. They talk about Michael Williams like he was created in a lab. People around the city do as well. And so Columbus has put out a number of big-time players. I mean, you, you go back over the decades. But Michael Williams, there have not been many ranked higher than him. Number four nationally, regardless of position, in the 24-7 sports composite. 6'5", 260. Now, you've watched a lot of the talent along the defensive line that's exited Athens. Uh, they, are, they are not hurting for talent there. But this is the kind of guy who is the exception to the rule, who has the kind of skill set that could walk in even at a place like Georgia, and contribute even at a position like defensive line in his true freshman year. I would not think he's going to be on the field starting against Oregon as much as I would think come November he is heavily involved in their defensive line rotation. 
Luther Burden is a guy I need to talk about for a second because we have not talked about him a lot. He is a top recruit from the state of Illinois. He's a wide receiver. And he committed to Missouri and signed with Missouri. He was number three in the nation in our 24-7 sports composite. Big time high school player there in St. Louis. Uh, well, he played at St. Louis High. And also, he's the kind of player that they have not gotten a lot up there. Like Few and far between have been players the caliber of Luther Burden. And so if you're trying to sell yourself on a team other than Georgia, or maybe even you're trying to sell yourself on a sleeper team other than Tennessee this year, and you're trying to pick Missouri, Luther Burden's got to be part of that equation. Uh, that's a guy who pr probably because of the opportunity, his skill set, and the depth chart opportunity he has, I have very little doubt he's going to be an impact player as a true freshman, and they're going to feature him. They're going to, I don't doubt that was part of the recruiting strategy with Luther Burden, and it should have been because it's wide open. It's obvious to everyone who's looked at uh, Missouri over the last few years. So you got Luther Burden, and also, last but not least, just a different caliber of football, is Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter couldn't very well be a two-way player for Jackson State. That was the number one overall player in the country who you remember famously committed to Jackson State on signing day. So he's playing for Deion Sanders there. This is the kind of guy who is not going to have a lot of you finding where Jackson State's playing on your TV guide, even though no one looks at TV guide anymore. But what you will do at the end of your Saturdays is you'll make sure and you'll go find Jackson State highlights because you want to see what Travis Hunter did. Uh, the spring game, it was a pretty good indication of what that could look like this fall. So Evan Stewart, Nicholas Singleton, Michael Williams, Luther Burden, Travis Hunter, those are the five. Not an exhaustive list, but those are five that I'm looking at. Next up, boy, this one's going to be fun. The Choo Choo Chap, great friend of the program, asked, in honor of Mother's Day, what's the craziest or best college football mom moment you can recall? I got three of them, and I've got a really good story about one of them. I bank on the fact that some of you are new, or some of you may just be young, and you may not have been around for some of this. Alex Collins is the first story. This was back a few years ago. Alex Collins, great running back, goes on to play it at uh, Arkansas, was involved in one of the most famous plays in like the 2014 or 15 season, that crazy fourth and a mile conversion against Ole Miss. But before Alex Collins was able to do that, he had to sign with Arkansas. And you may think to yourself, who cares? Big deal. Just put pen to paper, right? Well, did you hear that sound? That sound right there is what it sounds like when Penn tries to meet paper, but there is no piece of paper there because your mom has run off in the parking lot with it. That's what happened on signing day. Alex Collins commits to Arkansas. Mom takes the letter of intent and she flees with it. Jesse and I were looking earlier today. In fact, we Googled Alex Collins' mom signing day. Do yourself a favor, Google that. It reads like a Netflix series. It reads like the plot line to a fictitious Netflix series about the world of recruiting. Only those headlines are real. It really happened. She ended up going to court about it. All's well that ends well for the Hogs. Me in Arkansas, you know. So Alex Collins' mom was having none of it. And she just took the letter of intent. And, and the rules were, I don't know what it is now, the rules were, if you're under a certain age, you have to have a parent or guardian signature on that letter of intent before you fax it in and your signing becomes official. Well, I had to get dad involved because mom was not putting pen to paper. So she was, she was very, very upset that day 
And she took that paper and she, she fled. She hightailed it out of there. That was a mom moment. Notice, he asked for craziest. The more famous was 2011. We didn't have time, nor probably the budget, to ask ESPN for the footage earlier today, but you all know how to find it. Landon Collins, 2011, Under Armour All-American Game, Tropicana Field, St. Petersburg, Florida. Dari Noka became a legend on this afternoon, if he wasn't already, when he put the microphone in front of Landon Collins' mouth and said, where will you be going, LSU or Alabama? And he said, roll, tide, roll, and then the camera pans out, and everyone's celebrating except for mom. April Justin was her name, and as far as I know, still is. And Dorinoka asks Landon Collins the requisite follow-up questions, what made you choose Alabama, but this is a professional at work. He also had his eyes cut over towards mom, and he said, now I gotta ask, you did not seem overly thrilled about this. Why not? And he puts that microphone in her face, and she says, I feel like LSU is the better place for him. There was a pregnant pause. Dorinoka left the microphone in front of her face. A lesser reporter would not have. He would have panicked. Everyone freaks out when there's a pause on live air, and he would have yanked that microphone back, and we would have missed the golden soundbite that followed, which was LSU Tigers, number one, go Tigers. And then Landon Collins puts on the Bama gloves and flashes the script A, and his mom just shakes her head. The entire time they, they fade back to the game. Well, that's what you saw. Now let me ruin the entire world for you, okay? I, a couple of years later, finally get credentialed to go to college football games. And it's just a dream come true for me. Landon Collins is still at Alabama. Alabama's doing what they always do under Nick Saban. They're winning, they're playing for conference championships. And so they go to the SEC championship game. Landon Collins is on the team. Alabama wins the SEC championship game. Since his commitment and signing with Alabama, his mother has been very vocal. She has been very staunchly anti-Nick Saban. She has been on a quest to inform other mothers in the recruiting space about the potential perils and pitfalls out there that your little kiddo faces. Nick Saban goes into his press conference. This is at the Georgia Dome, rest in peace. I'm in there with him. No, we didn't go in together, but I am in there as Nick Saban's in there. You get it. So he walks out, and his wife's there, as she always is, and she hugs his neck. And April Justin is there. Keep in mind, this is the first access I've ever had to this sport behind the scenes. All I've seen is what you've seen so far. So all I know is this woman allegedly can't stand this guy, and yet her kid is playing for him anyway. And the arms open up, and she embraces him in every bit as big a hug as his wife had just embraced him in. And you know what I was? Yet again, I was the koala, mouth wide open, leaf hanging out. It was like I had gone to a pro wrestling event, and I had seen Hogan versus Warrior, but then, three miles down the road from the arena afterwards, me and Dad had gone to Waffle House, and in come Hogan and Warrior, and they sit down together. And I'm like, what am I seeing? What's even real anymore? So that really lifted the veil a little bit for me on what could be different behind the scenes in college football versus what I saw on the stage at the Under Armour All-American game. Dare I say, parts of college football, a work, they did a really good job of it. I will give them that. Thirdly, a little bit lesser renown here, but more recent, Jacob Copeland. 
when he committed to Florida, he had mom sit next to him. She had a Bama sweatshirt on. And if that wasn't enough, you talk about not caring about matching. She had a orange and white Tennessee checkered beanie on, and he commits to neither of them. He commits to Florida. And what does mom do? She gets up, packs her things, leaves, walks in front of the hard cam. It's a no-no in our world. And she just throws up the deuces goodbye. The context around that one, if you really know the ins and outs of that story, it's not quite as humorous as the others. Like, I have fun talking about the others. But those are some of the best mom stories. And if you are new to our sport, wait till the show's over. But if you are new and you've never seen any of those, I specifically encourage you, as you wind down your Sunday or you start your Monday, go to, the, your, go to your YouTube machine and type in Landon Collins Commitment. Landon Collins' mom, and just watch that unfold. You could never get a better two or three minutes of television if you tried to, especially in the world of college football recruiting. That was great. I'm not done with the stories. Just wait a few minutes. Next up, uh, we've got a question kind of about one of those teams. Hogfan84 asks, realistically, how far away are we from an SEC championship that does not feature either Bama or Georgia? from Cardiff, Wales. Well, I'll tell you how close you are. You're one year away. You could be a few months away. I mean, this is not a foregone conclusion this year or any year. The matchups only happen twice. You know, like there's a group out there that says, I'm tired of watching the same four teams play for the college football playoff every year, even though the same four teams have never made the college football playoff twice. Well, there also is a growing population in the SEC that says, I'm just let me drop the pen. I'm so tired of watching Georgia versus Bama every year. It's happened twice since these current coaches have been there. It's happened twice. It happened in, what, 2018, and it was a classic, and it happened last year. That's it. That's all. So there's a big difference, and it has to be noted, there's a big difference in team versus program. If you were to ask me, how, how long is it going to be before a program bypasses Bama in the West or Georgia in the East? That's a different question. But a team, any given year, any given 12-game stretch, all sorts of weird stuff can happen. All sorts of injuries and bounces of balls, just outright upsets could happen. So I would tell you, you could be as close as a few months away from seeing someone other than Georgia or Bama. Now, it's unlikely that neither will show up, but yeah, you could absolutely get like a, a, an Arkansas versus Georgia or a Tennessee versus Alabama. You could get that. I mean, anyone who scoffs at that notion, I don't know what kind of cave you've been hiding in. That stuff happens even in this sport, even to those teams all the time. Ohio State did not play for the Big Ten Championship last year. You know what kind of odds you could have gotten that in the preseason? Clemson did not play for the ACC Championship last year. What kind of odds could I have gotten in the preseason on that? So this kind of stuff happens all the time. But the question was about teams this year. How close are we? to a program overtaking Georgia in the East years away? How close are you to a program overtaking Alabama in the West years away? So luckily, programs don't play. Teams play. A team is a kind of a one-year snapshot of a program. Uh, that's why I think you can have a little more confidence and excitement when you go into a season, even if a program has been a buzzsaw. You know, for instance, take these two teams, or take these two programs, I guess. I got a little pushback in 2020, going into the season, right after LSU had, had gone on a run with what you may very well consider the best team you've ever seen, that 2019 team, 
and they beat Alabama, and they won the national championship. And I said, well, Bama's still the top program in the West. And some of the reactions were, did you not just watch the game last year? Yeah, I watched the 2019 LSU team be better. The program hasn't bypassed Saban. If you're suggesting that one year could upend all that, then we don't respect longevity or consistency at all. So that can't be the metric. But also the following year, 2020. Remember what happened? That was that COVID year where everything shut down. Florida ends up running the score up on Georgia down in Jacksonville. And Florida beats Georgia, and Florida ends up going to the SEC championship game. I took heat the following spring by saying, well, Georgia's still the top program in the division. In both cases, we've seen how that played out. I'm not doing the whole revisionist history thing. Now, I'm telling you at the time, I said it, that's the difference in program and team. So when is the first time you're going to see a team other than one or the other in Atlanta? Could be this December. Just understand it may not mean that they've been bypassed as a program. All right, let's get one more in here. The mailbag is really, really good tonight. This one is about the most important position in this sport. Grumpy Old Sarge asked, with a number of high-profile quarterback transfers this, I'm not saying that word, uh, these last few months, which of them will be the most successful this year? Stats, wins, however you wish to rank them. I'm not ready to rank them yet, but I will obviously tell you Caleb Williams is up here. I mean, what would USC football be? Even if you had Lincoln Riley, what would USC football be? if he did not also bring along Caleb Williams. Far be it for me to suggest they were a package deal now. We all know how dirty an allegation that is. But Caleb Williams uh, is, is obviously a big-time player here. He was the number one player overall in the transfer portal. Uh, you see Quinn Ewers there second. Going to talk about him in a second. Spencer Rattler also, since we're talking about the Oklahoma theme there. Spencer Rattler is a massive boost, not only at the position of quarterback for South Carolina, but remember when that headline came down. To me, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I still don't think in this entire transfer portal cycle we had a bigger boom moment than Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina. That one just came out of nowhere. Now, I'm sure in the comment section someone's going to mention one that will make me go, oh, yeah, that one. Uh, but listen, even if there are some comparable, that was way up there. That was a big deal. And he came with Stogner, the tight end. I think that happened a couple days later. But Spencer Rattler is going to be a very big deal. It's a big deal in terms of on-field performance and perception of program for South Carolina. Quinn Ewers is going to be boring injury. One of my old phrases down in Columbus I used on radio all the time when I made a prediction was, barring something unforeseen, this will happen. And anytime it didn't happen, I would say something unforeseen came up. Well, barring something unforeseen, Quinn Ewers is going to be the starting quarterback for Texas. Uh, maybe Hudson Card beats him out, a la something unforeseen. But as for now, we're going to roll the dice with Quinn Ewers. This could be the difference in several games this fall for Texas. Just, just state it very clearly like it is. There, there could be wild fluctuation in the best, worst, and most likely record scenarios for the Longhorns. That guy's going to be pulling the trigger at quarterback. That will be a must-watch team every week if Quinn Ewers is the quarterback for Texas because he's also got guys calling plays for him, a guy calling plays for him that I just told you about, what, 50 minutes ago or so, I thought was the best coordinator in college football when he was at Alabama and still very well may be the best player caller in college football. Just got to have the ingredients, and he's getting more and more of them. What about Max Johnson, that former left-handed quarterback there at LSU who is now at Texas A&M? Am I the biggest fan of interdivision transfers? No, I'm not. 
do, do people in college football really care what I think right now? Also, no. So forget about what I think. He's there, and he's an Aggie now. And there is some semi-smart money in College Station exiting spring that would lead you to believe maybe he's the favorite to win the job. That's not even remotely settled. And so that's not even guided information. That's just kind of a, a couple of people talking out there around the program. Haynes King's going to figure heavily into that, but he's not a transfer. Max Johnson is. And Max Johnson is the kind of guy who adds another player you can win with. It's not just cluttering up the quarterback room and hoping no one transfers so we can have some decent depth. That's a guy you can win with. You've already seen him win in this division, no less. So Max Johnson's up there. Uh, go back to Oklahoma for a second. Dylan Gabriel, who will absolutely be the starting quarterback there, uh, that, that transfer, that's quietly, not in Norman, it's not quite in Norman, but nationally, that's one of the biggest transfers in the sport this past cycle. If Dylan Gabriel is not at Oklahoma, what is Oklahoma football this year? They swung and missed on Jackson Dart. Maybe they would have landed Dart if they didn't have Gabriel. My point is, he's one of the most important players in that position is one of the biggest boom or bust position groups this year for contending teams. That's a, there's a lot of weight on his shoulders this year, and I look forward to watching him play too. I also look forward to watching what kind of style they try and employ out there at Oklahoma. That's still the favorite in the Big 12. You've seen all the churn and all the players leaving. Still the odds-on favorite to win the Big 12. Uh, we mentioned Jackson Dart there at Ole Miss. That, as of the end of spring, was not a settled quarterback battle. He and Luke Altmeyer are still tangled up in a legitimate quarterback battle there. I think that it will end up being Jackson Dart. I'll tell you this. I'm going to talk more about it because this is not a running back segment. We are overlooking one of the biggest transfers in America this past cycle. It's not Jackson Dart. He's one of them. I'm telling you Zach Evans is being overlooked right now, that running back, formerly of TCU, now of Ole Miss. Uh, Zach Evans could be the best tailback in the SEC this year. And he's in Oxford, Mississippi. And I hadn't heard, I can't believe I'm going to say this word, nary a person talking about him as of late. Uh, which is hypocritical because I sit here three nights a week with a mic in front of my face. So we're going to talk about Zach Evans more. Uh, JT Daniels also. We talked about him earlier in the show. Uh, transferred to West Virginia. We think, for better or for worse, that's going to be West Virginia's starting quarterback. It is very intoxicating when you watch the best of JT Daniels, when you watch highlight film of JT Daniels, no one's questioning his upside. It's the consistency in performance. Is he able to get all the way back? And is he able to perform at a consistently high enough level for West Virginia? Hope he is. Uh, that's the great unknown there with West Virginia football. So those are some of the transfer quarterbacks that we're looking at. That's going to be, I mean, every year now moving forward, the transfer quarterback picture uh, that just has perennially an opportunity to, to upend the landscape of college football in a given year. Okay, last question. That, um, we're not going to cut this as an individual video, so the only chance you're going to hear this is watching or listening to the full show. And boy, have you been lately. Our, our average audience retention is, it looks like a typo. Every time I present it to management, they accuse me of being on substances. Mark asked, since it's Mother's Day, Reminisce on a time maybe in sports that is special with you and your mom. Mark from Montgomery, Alabama. Well, Mark, about an hour, 45 minutes north of you is Birmingham, Alabama, according to Stats and Info. The year was 2000. Your boy was in grade school and pro wrestling was red hot. 
and the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center in December of 2000 hosted a WWF pay-per-view, Armageddon. The main event, this was my first ever live event, was a six-man Hell in a Cell match featuring, think about this lineup, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker, Kurt Angle, Rikishi, and who did I leave out? Triple H, yeah, for the WWF title. And I went up there with a buddy who has since passed away, but my mom drove us up there. We, we did not go 65 through Montgomery. We went 280 up through, uh, among other cities, oh man, Sylacauga, Alexander City, those kind of cities. So we went up there, uh, but we only had two tickets. Those were steep. I think they were like 75 bucks a piece. And if you're in grade school or you're on a budget at all, you can't just be dropping 150 on a random Sunday night to go to Birmingham plus gas. So what happened? Well, my mother, in I think we can all agree, not the best part of Birmingham, Alabama, sat outside in her car for four and a half hours while me and my buddy went in to sit in section 126 and watch one of the best main events in the Attitude Era. Rikishi flew off the top of the hell in the cell. Amazing. Happened to be a bed of a truck there with some sawdust chips in the background, so he didn't really get hurt all that much. Uh, but my mom sat out there in, I don't know where she parked, and I don't really want to know, to be honest with you. I do know that all's well that ends well because she was there to pick us up when we walked out at 11 o'clock that night. Then, as we get later into the decade, and this is why it's a very, very happy Mother's Day, especially in Forts in Georgia, um, the SEC championship game was always right in our backyard, just up the road in Atlanta, so I was fortunate enough to grow up an hour south of Atlanta. And, I mean, there were always really expensive tickets. And I didn't care which teams were playing. I just wanted to be there every year. Well, I mean, it was not financially feasible for me to be able to be there every year, but I did develop a strategy, and it worked pretty decently. SEC championship game is the first week of December, first Saturday in December. Christmas is the 25th every year, every single year without fail. I developed a strategy, which was good-hearted because I wasn't trying to pull one over on anyone. I told my mom, you can forget my Christmas presents if you'll just buy me SEC championship game tickets, because I really did value that more than Christmas presents. And so 2003, LSU, Georgia, I was able to get that done. 2008, that was Florida, Bama, part one. I was able to get that done. And those things were 300 a pop in the upper deck. And 2009, ditto on the price point, ditto upper deck, ditto on the teams. It was Urban Meyer, Florida, Nick Saban, Alabama. Again, um, if you ever want to know, by the way, why I appreciate being able to do what I do so much, it's because that's the way I used to have to get into games. Now, I can't vouch for 03 as much, but 08 and 09, it turns out that if you give enough lead time, three weeks, and you ask for a ticket to be your Christmas present, you may just get Christmas presents anyway. So, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers out there. Those are three of the stories that I had. Uh, that, uh, look, that, that, that sitting in a parking lot for four hours in Birmingham, that's pretty legendary. Um, that's all we have for tonight. I encourage you guys, whether you're listening on pod or whether you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. That's what we need you to do. Subscribe. And you may think you are, but just double check. And then, since it's Mother's Day, go give your mom a hug. And as you're hugging her, reach for the phone and subscribe on all of our feeds. Mom would want it that way. You know it, I know it, she probably knows it. So just go ahead and do it for her. Get it out of the way for her. It's a, actually a nice Mother's Day present. Uh, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to your week, and God bless.
CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.